seat. Well, good morning again. Good morning. Hey, uh, if you got your uh, connection guides, go ahead and pull those out. Um, if not, it's also available in our app. Uh, you can follow along with the message this morning. But we're in week two today of a series uh, that we're calling Block Party, right? And it's our hope that through this series that you uh, would personally understand the role that God wants you to play in our community, not just here in our community, but in our country and in our world, which the role is to help people to come to faith and to help them to begin to take steps to become disciples, right? To become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, a bit of review if you weren't here last week or even if you were. Uh, if you remember in Luke chapter 10, uh, there was a teacher of the law. And this teacher of the law, he comes to Jesus and he asks him a question. He comes to Jesus and, and, and asks him a question. He says, how can we have eternal life? Right, and Jesus doing what Jesus did so many times is he, you know, would answer a question by throwing a question back at the person that just asked him that question. And he does this in this instant, in this instance here. And so Jesus says, he says to the guy, he says, So what do you think it says? He says, You know the law, what does it say? And so this guy says in Luke chapter 10, he says, Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind. And then he says, Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, yep, you know what, you got it right. He says, now do that, Jesus says, and you will live. And the teacher of the law, he asks Jesus the magic question, which is, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus defines neighbor by telling him the story of a Samaritan guy who comes upon this Jewish guy on this path. And this Jewish man has been beaten, he has been robbed, he has been left for dead. And the Samaritan guy shows this guy Jewish compassion, or this Jewish guy, compassion. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that story? Well, the Jews back then, you need to know, despised and looked down upon the Samaritans. And the Samaritans didn't think too highly of the Jews either. And so this story that Jesus just told would have rocked this teachers of, teacher of the law, would have just rocked his mind. This would have really been outside of, of the box. Even though this story may have actually been true or this guy may have known about it. See, Jesus told this man, he said, that, it, that, that his neighbor is anyone who comes across your path. Your neighbor is anyone that comes across your path, right? Don't miss this, right? Hundreds of years of Jewish law dating back to Moses. Leviticus chapter 19, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Jesus redefines the word neighbor right here to include everyone, in other words, your neighbor is not just another Jewish person, right? Your neighbor is not just the person that lives next door to you or your relative. It's anyone that comes across your path. In other words, look, church, if we're going to have a block party, right, if we're really going to have a block party like we talked about last week, and if we're going to invest in our neighbors and invite them into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then we need to know that God wants the whole neighborhood invited to the party, this means whites and, and blacks and Hispanics and Asians and Indians and Jews and Gentiles and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists. Look, they all get an invitation. Doesn't mean that everyone's gonna accept the invitation. But I wanna tell you this this morning. The one, one of the core values of my life is that I believe that everyone deserves an opportunity to be brought to Jesus Christ, Everyone. And see, the church, right, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to do better than we're doing right now, right? We have to lead the way towards racial reconciliation in our country. And you say, well, how do we do this? Well, as we talked about this last week, it has to begin with prayer. We have to love our neighbor as ourselves. Who's our neighbor? Jesus said our neighbor is anyone that God brings across our path. 
Right? We have to sit down and we have to start talking to each other. We've got to begin to listen to each other. We have to try to understand one another. We have to have compassion towards one another. We have to believe with all of our heart that Jesus is the answer to this issue and every other issue that we're ever going to deal with. Now, I know that some of you might be sitting here thinking, man, you've got this, this thought that this problem is way too deep. I mean, there's just way too much history here. The wounds are never going to heal. The anger is too great. There's too much fear amongst all the different races. That divide is too wide. Well, let me say this, church, is that Jesus did not leave his followers on this earth to be fearful and helpless. Right? He did not leave us here to be divided and hopeless. Instead, he gave us love and he transformed our lives by giving us salvation. And he left us here with the Holy Spirit to give us the power to live victoriously over sin and every other issue that we're going to face. And then he did something absolutely amazing. is that he took his own authority, which had been given to him by his father, And he gave it to us so that we could share his love with all people, all nations, and all races. And so listen, this is not a time for fear. It's not a time for anger. It's not a time for division. This is not a time for the church to hide. This is not a time to turn people away at the door. This is a time for Christians to come together and to use the authority that has been given to us to bring healing, to bring peace, to bring love, to bring unity, and to bring Jesus into our broken community, into our nation, into our world. Church, this is our time. It's time for us as true followers of Jesus Christ to put on display the fact that there's not a situation that we will face in life that is too big for our God to handle. And I'm going to say this in love to you this morning, the best way that I believe that I can. When you see some of these videos on social media depicting certain things, and if your default is racism, look, you need to take a good look in the mirror and you need to repent of your sin. You need to ask God to help you to default to the spirit because honestly, look, racism is a sin and as a church, look, we need to do better. We need to be ambassadors of hope and we need to be ambassadors of reconciliation in this nation and my prayer is that it begins right here at Source Church, that we are part of the solution of what God is calling us to do. Now with all of that said, what I wanna do this morning is I wanna take a look at a story that Jesus had with a Uh, man in the book of Mark that I think kind of illustrates this beautifully. And I'm just gonna say this. It's an extreme story, right? From the world's eyes, this is a hopeless situation that Jesus encounters. If you got your Bibles this morning, I want you to get them out and turn to Mark chapter five. If not, it'll be up on the screen, also available in the app for you. But what I wanna do while you're doing this, I wanna tell you that in Mark chapter five, there are three great stories of transformation that are in this uh, particular chapter. There's the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years And Jesus heals her. There's a young lady who dies and and Jesus raises her from the dead. And they're all cool stories. However, my favorite story from this chapter uh, starts at the very beginning of the chapter. Uh, Disciples right before this are out in a boat with Jesus. Uh, The storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee and it's just kind of creating havoc for them. It's rocking the boat. They're scared to death. Jesus is sleeping on the boat. They wake him up. He gets up and with authority, he speaks calm and peace. And what happens is the waves just die down. Disciples, when this happened, they're like, man, who is this? What in the world? Who is this guy that has the authority to even calm waves and to calm the sea? And in Mark chapter five, verse one, it says this. On the other side of the sea, they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes. Now they've landed on the shore and now they're in an area that is not a Jewish area. So it says, as soon as, verse two, as soon as Jesus got out of the boat, he was met by a man with an unclean spirit who was coming from the tombs. 
says this man had been living in the tombs and could no longer be restrained, even with chains. Though he was often bound with chains and shackles, he had broken the chains, shattered the shackles. Now there was no one with the strength to subdue him. It says night and day in the tombs and in the mountains, he kept crying out and cutting himself with stones. What's this man's challenge? I mean, he's got a lot of things going on here. And what I want to give you this morning, we've got a lot of outline in your connection guide, but I want to kind of tell you this morning what some of these challenges are as we start this morning. First of all is this, is that this guy was possessed by demons. This is a guy who is living in, in total bondage. Somehow or another, he's opened up his life to a host of demonic spirits to take over his body, and now he's completely under their control. You might be saying to yourself, well, do demons still possess people today? Absolutely. Now, I do want to say this, right, is, is if you know someone who's a Christian and they, they seem to be under attack, they're oppressed, but they're not possessed, okay? As Christians, we can't be possessed by demons. Second thing that this guy dealt with is that he lived in the graveyard, right? He lived in the tombs. Here's a guy that lived among the graveyard. The accounts of this story, which are also given in Matthew and Luke, say that there was actually two demon-possessed guys in the story, but it appears that Mark chooses just to focus in his story on the more aggressive of the two. But I want you to imagine living in a graveyard and you're full of demons and all of your neighbors around you. I mean, you've got one other guy, but everyone else is dead. There's no one to help you, no one to talk to. It's obvious that these demons have forced this man to just live in a very scary, hopeless, lonely state. And so because of that, we see he's full of anger. Matthew chapter eight tells us that this man was extremely violent, so much so that people couldn't even pass by the graveyard without confrontation. He also lived in chains. Verse four tells us that there was a point where this man was bound in chains. His hands and his feet were in shackles. But now he was, he was out of control, right? He, he became so empowered by the demons that lived inside of him that even the chains could no longer restrain him. No one could bring this man under control and he was an absolute emotional wreck. Mark tells us that all day long, all night long, this man would cry out from his home among the tombs I mean, this guy was in emotional distress. The demons just tormented this man all day and all night. And so because of that, he became self-destructive. Mark tells us that he cut himself with stones. I mean, this guy was a desperate man. This situation had actually driven him to self-mutilation. Now, there's something about the human nature that when we suffer, right, we try to escape from our suffering. We look for diversions from our issues, and sometimes it might be alcohol, sometimes it might be drugs, sometimes it might be pornography. For some people, it might just be movies or, or video games, whatever it is, but people desperately want to keep their minds occupied so that they can escape from the reality of their loneliness and their pain and their suffering. And here's this guy here, right? He is cutting himself with stones, trying to escape from what he is going through. I mean, this man has no hope, he has no future, he has no life, he is a dead man walking. This is what you call a hopeless situation. This is a guy who is in desperate need of a rescue because the bottom line is he is spiritually lost. But look at what happens in verse six. It says, when the man saw Jesus from a distance, it says he ran, fell on his knees before him. You know, one of the amazing things about this story is that even in the midst of the craziness that is going on here, the state that this man is in, he recognizes that Jesus is his only hope. And so he runs to Jesus. And the Bible says he bows down in front of Jesus. Now let me make a very interesting point here. The words fell down before him. 
in the Greek come from a word that is pronounced proskuneo. And what that word means is it means to worship. In other words, right, the demons, even though they hate everything about God, but when they're confronted by the presence of Jesus, they are forced to bow down and to worship him. That's how powerful Jesus is. That means that there is nothing that you or I are dealing with right now that's outside of the transforming grace and power given to you through your relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at verse seven. And he shouted in a loud voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God not to torture me. For Jesus had already declared, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. What is your name, Jesus asked. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus repeatedly not to send them out of that region. There on the nearby hillside, a large herd of pigs was feeding. So the demons begged Jesus, send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. He gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out, went into the pigs, and the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this into the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by legion of demons sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described what had happened to the demon-possessed man and also the pigs, and the people began to beg Jesus to leave their region. In other words, look, Jesus, man, you have just killed off our economy. Get out of here. Now, there are some stories in the Bible that honestly, right, they create some funny images in your mind, and this is kind of one of them, right? This is one of those stories. I mean, just picture in, in this area, in this, in this particular region where this story takes place, is these sti- like steep rock cliffs. Now, I want you just to imagine for a moment, right? You're in a boat fishing with a bunch of your fishing buddies, and you're all out fishing. You're looking over at that area where those rocky, steep cliffs are, and then all of a sudden, you look, right, and you just see pigs just, just jumping off the cliffs, right? It's like, oink, splash, <laughs> oink, splash. And then everyone starts dropping their fishing poles, right? Your buddy taps you on the shoulder. He goes, hey, look over there. There's some deviled ham. (laughs) All right, sorry. That was bad. I put that in there. I was like, I don't know if anyone's gonna laugh. But, I mean, can you just see this, right? Can you hear the stories of the owners of these pigs, the stories that they would have told? I mean, these stories would have been passed down probably for generations. The people in this town, they had to be scared to death. Who is this man that has the power to cast demons into pigs? Bible actually says that they were frightened. But what happened to the demon-possessed man, right? What happened to the man possessed by the demons? What did Jesus actually do for this guy? Well, here's what he did. Jesus transformed his heart. Jesus set him free from bondage. Jesus spoke to the demons that possessed him and cast them out. In other words, Jesus set this man free. Right, the inner bondage that, that just held to this man's life was gone. The destructive behavior, the emotional oppression, the spiritual depravity was gone. For the first time, this man was free. John eight thirty six says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know, one of the greatest joys of pastoring this church for just over a little over three years has been watching so many of you be set free from the power that sin had over your lives. And we're now getting to watch you walk in victory. And I just love that. Jesus also brought peace to this guy's life. Verse 15 tells us that the the pig farmers went and told everyone about what had happened to their pigs and to the men. And so the people, they came to see Jesus. They wanted to see what had happened. And when they got there, right, they're looking at this man and they're seeing him just sitting there calmly. 
This man is no longer running all over the place, terrorizing his neighbors. He's no longer crying out in agony. He's no longer cutting himself. There is now peace and calm that has come into his life. Moments ago, Jesus calmed nature, and now what he's done is he's brought complete peace and calmness to this desperate man's life. You know, Galatians 5 tells us that one of the signs that the Holy Spirit is now in control of your life is self-control. Right? Self-control is what we call one of the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so now this man's life has changed Jesus has brought peace into his life. He's also given him hope for his future. One of the interesting things about verse 15 when we read through that is is, is that when the people came to see him, it says he was now dressed, which obviously means that early in the story, he was naked. And if you're bold enough to run around naked, I would say that you have lost all hope, right? Seriously, if you have nothing to live for and your life is in ruins, why even get dressed in the morning? Right? You might know people that feel that way, or you might even be feeling that way yourself. What, you know, why even get out of bed? I've got no hope. Why even get up and get dressed? See, hope is an, hope is an interesting thing to me because people will do crazy things when they lose all hope. Right? People do some desperate things. And some of you are here today, and maybe you've lost hope. You're maybe looking at life going, you know what, there is nothing in my future I can't see anything that is ahead of me that could, could even possibly bring me happiness or anything that looks like it's gonna brighten my future. Many of you know people who have lost hope. See, people do desperate things when they feel like they have lost hope. But see, this, when this man found Jesus, right, it brought, it brought him hope. And now this man had a hope for his future. His transformed life gave him a sense of respect for himself that he had lost. It gave him a new lease on life. And also his thought patterns began to change. Not only was he at peace, not only was he dressed, but Mark now tells us that he is in his right mind. His mind went from this world of darkness and anger and destruction to a world of clarity and peace for the first time. And who knows how long this guy was actually able to think clearly. You know, Romans 8, 6 says that the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. See, here's the bottom line, is that this guy experienced true life change. See, well, how in the world does that happen? I mean, how can, how can an encounter with Jesus so radically change your life? I think in order for, for us to understand this, that we need to look at the whole picture. See, here's what we have to understand. is Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so also death was passed on to all men because all sinned. See, this guy wasn't just spiritually lost. He was spiritually dead. There was nothing inside of him. There was no hope. There was no future because all that was in him was spiritual death. But 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. See, this guy is a brand new person inside. He is spiritually alive. Check this out. Not only did Jesus transform his heart, Jesus gave him a purpose. Look at verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, meaning Jesus, the man who had been possessed by the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus would not allow him He says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. So the man went away and began to proclaim throughout the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed. See, Jesus has this amazing ability to give life meaning and to give life purpose. Here's this man. I mean, this man wants to get into the boat with Jesus, right? I mean, if your life has been changed like this, wouldn't you want to go with the guy that just made that happen? And so here he is, he's begging Jesus, please let me go with you where you are going. I wanna be able to hang out with you. And Jesus said, no. 
He said, I don't want you to go with me. He said, I have something actually much greater planned for your life. I want you to go to your family and I want you to share what has happened in your life. And we see from scripture, this guy didn't just go to his family. This guy actually went to 10 different cities. He went to the Decapolis and he told everyone that would listen how this radical teacher named Jesus transformed his life and how Jesus had given him a reason to live and now he had brought back hope in his life and gave him a new purpose. Bible says that the people that listened to him were amazed. See, this guy went from death to life in one moment. He went from being a crazed, naked lunatic to being a well-spoken, clothed evangelist. Jesus didn't just deliver this guy from demon possession. No, he gave his life meaning and he gave his life purpose. And his purpose was to go back to his family and then to his community proclaiming how much God had done for him. And listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, look, when you discover your purpose in your life, it will always revolve around bringing glory to God, not yourself. It will involve being on mission to tell people about the life-changing message of the gospel and how it has changed your life, no matter what kind of profession you are in. Look, God has led you to the neighborhood that you live in right now. He has placed you into the family that you are in. He has strategically placed you in the job or the career that you are in right now, the ball field that your kids play on. Look, it's not an accident. The gym, the dance studio, the football bleachers, the band parents, the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, all the parents. Listen, these folks are your neighbors. They're the people that God has placed in your path wherever you live, work, or play, and it's all connected to the mission and the purpose that God has for your life. It's where he has placed you to live out the mission of Jesus. I know that some of you are in here and you're like, man, how do I tackle that? Because that is overwhelming, right? It scares me to death. And then we talk about, as we earlier, you know, some of the racial tensions that are going on in our country now. And you say, how do I even engage that? If I'm honest, right, whether you're white or black, Hispanic, Asian, there's a lot of fear. There are a lot of people out there that are just angry. They're fearful. Here's how you tackle it, is you tackle it with the authority that has been given to you in Christ. Look at what Jesus did for this guy. He didn't just transform his heart. He didn't just give his life mission and purpose. Jesus gave this guy authority. I want you to look at Luke 4.36. All the people were overcome with amazement and asked one another, what is this message? With authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. You see, Jesus had authority not just to calm the waves. Jesus has authority to cast out demons. And if you look at Matthew 28, we see that it all comes from his father. If you look at Mark 5, 19, this is what Jesus says to this guy. He says this. He says, go. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. See, the word go here in the Greek is actually the Greek word hupago. And it means to go away with authority. In other words, Jesus has given this man authority to go and to tell his neighbors what the Lord has done for him and how he has had mercy on him. I mean, this is the same guy who just a few minutes ago in this story was full of demons running around naked in a graveyard. The same guy that attacked people whenever they came near him. All of a sudden, Jesus has said to this man, go with authority. I mean, this is a guy who's probably had to overcome some doubts and fears to do what Jesus has called him to do. Why? This guy's got quite a past going on, doesn't he? I mean, people knew this guy. This guy was talked about. 
right? You, you, you don't just you know, have a guy like this running around naked in a graveyard who is demon-possessed without conversations going on about this guy in the town square. See, people knew this guy's story. And I'm sure that's an issue for some of you as you think about engaging your neighbors with the gospel, as you think about inviting them into God's block party, right? Because people know you. There's people in this room that, that went to high school with you or maybe even they went to college with you. These are people that grew up with you, people around you. Maybe they've seen the worst of you. They know your story. But listen, there is just something about receiving God's grace and experiencing his mercy that just gives you boldness because you realize how much you've been forgiven, right? You realize how much you've been set free because of what God has done in your life. Listen, a transformed life is hard to argue with, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to argue Think about the people in this story. They're watching this man preach with authority for what Jesus has done in his life. It's hard to argue with that guy. I mean, the last time I saw him, right, he was naked, running around full of demons, and now look at this guy. Look, I want you to know that you've been given a mission, but that you've also been given authority to carry that mission out. And it's the same authority that God the Father gave God the Son I mean, that's how powerful it is, right? That's as powerful as it gets, folks. There is nothing more powerful. See, when you have authority, you have the same power behind your words and your words carry the same weight because someone greater than you has given them to you and given you authorization to say them. Listen, I know, church, that it's easy to turn on the news. I know it's easy to, to go on social media to just kind of look around and feel like, man, the world is falling apart. But church, listen, we need to understand that it's our time to shine. Right? This is not a time to shrink back in fear. This is not a time to go into to default mode. This is a time to engage the messiness and the sinfulness of our neighbors and the world around us with the only thing that's going to change them, the love of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. See, like this man in this story, we're not much different. Right? Jesus has transformed our lives. Jesus has transformed our lives. If you're here and here today and you are a true Christ follower, you have truly put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone, you've received his gift of salvation. Look, Jesus has transformed your life, but he's given you a mission. And now he's given you the authority to carry it on. And with that authority, look, we have been authorized. We have been commissioned to go with boldness and to go with confidence and to get the job done. You close your eyes and pray with me. Father, we just come before you. Father, we thank you for